may not talk. You will not move from these seats. And you will not sleep. Maybe you'll even decide whether or not you care to return. Uh, yeah, you know, I can answer that right now, sir. You know, that'd be no, no for me. Cause... Sit down, Johnson. Thank you, sir. Bueller. Bueller. Nobody puts a baby in a corner. Oh, gnarly! Hey, where's the beat? I want my MTV. I want my MTV! Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Live from Members Only Studios, welcome to Living in the 80s, a podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with the 1980s. The best that we remember it, y'all. Oh, that was great. Straight from Texas, our girl Debbie. But I don't have a Texas accent usually because I've not lived here forever, unless I say pa. You can have a piece Uh, of pa, pumpkin pa when you come to my house. Uh, Like Uh, uh, pumpkin pa. That's nice. great. That was that was better than the fiasco of last week. That was a great <laughs> intro this week. So you sound yourself like I don't know. You guys were critiquing him. I thought he did. I thought you sounded very yeah, wise. Well, thank you. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, I, I felt smart. Man. That, but Deb, you brought it today. That's all that matters. You brought it with the y'all. It was brought. It was brought. <laughs> so we are continuing our quest to to discover the. The top movie music moments of the 80s. So we did numbers 10 through 6 last week. You missed it. Oh, you have to turn in, tune into last week's podcast. Still available. Yeah. And uh, check it out. Yeah. And if, if they, they can check out last week's podcast, and like we talked about last week, they can even check out our Facebook page, Rob. Yes, they can. You know, we've got over 2,000 people on there that... What? that get in there and they relive the 80s that's awesome through us and some people contribute stuff which we love yeah so i would love to have you guys you listeners out there across the world yeah uh go to facebook look for living in the 80s and you'll find us so do that you will be happy and you know what i want to thank all of the people that went over to the apple podcast over the last week and put in, rated us, and put in their comments about how much you love the podcast. Because they're listening today, and they didn't get a chance to go do that, Rob. What can they do? You know, they can still do it. What? You go to Apple Apple Podcasts. It's completely free. And even Spotify? You can go to Spotify and rate us. Please do that. Yeah, Yeah, we enjoy it. We've got five-star ratings on both there. Well, I think that was me and... Mike, if I'm something has to do. Let's keep, let's keep it going. You know, the more momentum we can get, the better. Uh tell tell your friends about us. I know uh, a lot of you are because I mean there are literally thousands of people that listen to this podcast. Wait, every the week. kids phone the neighbors. I listen to, to it, it 999 times each week. This is so good. <laughs> <laughs> gonna not listen to it. Oh nice. So we're gonna take a, a break, brief time out here. Uh, listen to our sponsors, and then we'll be back talking about the top five. Yes, the Mount Rushmore. Yes, the Mount Rushmore. Of our favorite movie music moments. Beautiful. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Living in the 80s. We want to take this opportunity to thank all of those that helped make this possible. First and foremost, we want to thank Spotify for Podcasters for providing this platform as well as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and about a dozen others. We also want to give a special thank you to Star1079.com and Roundtown Radio, where you can hear this podcast weekly. Also, be sure to check us out on our website at livingintheeighties.us and our Facebook page, Living in the 80s. Most of all, we want to thank you for listening. Welcome back to Living in the 80s. We are halfway through our list. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking all about the top five moments in the 80s where music and movies collide, where we hear a song, we think of the movie, 
We see the movie. We think we want to go listen to yeah. the song. So there's some really good ones. We'll tell you last week's. Purple Rain by Prince was number 10. Uh, Danger Zone mm. by Kenny Loggins from Top Gun. Uh, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor from Rocky Three, Number eight. Lunatic Fringe by Red Rider from Vision Quest. Number seven. And uh, If You Leave by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark from Pretty in Pink. Oh, that's good stuff. You're caught up. It was movie magic. We talked about movie magic. Movie music magic. These next songs are even more iconic. Shut We've taken the iconometer and gone up a notch. Stop it. Are you serious? I'm... Are you I'm, kidding me, Clark? Serious. Me, Clark. I'm dead serious. <laughs> so, Debbie, why don't you kick us off? This is a scene from a movie we all know, but the song you may not be as familiar with. Huh. But when we hear it, we know it. Debbie, take automatically it. know the song that I'm going to be talking about is from 1984's film Sixteen Candles. In the film, Samantha, played by Molly Ringwald, is turning 16. Her family forgets her 16th birthday due to her the craziness that has ensued leading up to her sister's upcoming wedding. Tragic. Samantha has a crush on senior Jake Ryan, played by Michael Sheffling, but worries that he doesn't know she's alive. Meanwhile, Samantha is also rebuffing the attention of Farmer Ted, the nerdy boy at her school, who asks her to give him her underwear to prove that he is cool. <laughs> Scenes. He's bold. Yeah, a little crazy. Um, little yellow, red polka dot <laughs> panties. Nerds are like. The movie includes a school dance, a wild house party, and a missing car that has an unfortunate meeting with a lake. Big lake, huge lake. And the movie ends with the song that I'm going to be talking about today. And that's If You Were Here. If you were here, I could deceive you. If you were here, you would believe. The song begins as Samantha stands on the church's front steps after her sister's wedding. She has just come back outside after running in to grab her sister's forgotten bouquet. She's disappointed to see that she has missed the excitement of the bride's departure. And as the cars pull away, she looks up to see Jake leaning against his red Porsche across the street. He nonchalantly waves at her and turns, and she turns to see who he could be waving at behind her. The music continues to play. She turns back towards him and points to herself and mouths, me? The camera zooms in on Jake, and we see him smile and say, yeah, you, as he crosses the street towards her. She meets him at the bottom of the steps where they awkwardly say hi, and he tells her he came there to see her. She decides to skip the wedding reception and leaves with him in his car. As she's getting into the car, her father turns to see her, and she mouths that this is the boy. The car pulls away, and we flash forward to Jake and Samantha sitting on his glass dining room table with a birthday cake between them. They have a sweet conversation where she thanks him for getting her undies back, he thanks her for coming over, and she thanks him for coming to get her. He wishes her a happy birthday and tells her to make a wish. She tells him it already came true. Next comes the iconic kiss across the cake with the only light coming from the birthday candles. The scene freezes and the credits roll. And to this day, I wonder how they didn't catch their clothes on fire as they leaned across that cardboard <laughs> cake for the kiss. Was the cake cardboard? It was cardboard, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. And just a little history on the song. It was recorded by the Thompson Twins for their third studio album called Quick Step and Sidekick, which was released in February of 1983. So it was not specifically written for the movie. It was chosen to be included in the movie, but never charted. I don't even recall it being played on the radio. It was one of those songs that I always wondered, where could I find it? And back then I couldn't Google and I didn't think to look up the Thompson twins at the record store and the vinyl bins. Um, but the album did reach number two in the UK and number 34 in the US, but the song just didn't perform anywhere on the charts, which mm. I find to be surprising because of where it was included in the movie. So you all being men, did you enjoy 16 Candles or no? I, I loved it. Absolutely. I loved it. it was a wonderful movie. Yes. Mike? 
It was okay. Oh, here we go. You know what? You're a piece of work right there. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I love the uh, rock movie Central Intelligence at the very end where he reenacts the uh, <laughs> last scene of the movie when he goes yeah. to pick up Kevin Hart. Yeah. He's oh, got yeah. on the Jake Ryan outfit. Instead of having a Porsche, he's got a red pickup truck. That is pretty sweet. <laughs> That's funny. 16 Candles is one of those movies that beginning to end, one of the most quote worthy mm-hmm. fun, like just and this ridiculous stuff too. If you just list the little tiny things in the background of this movie, like when Farmer Ted is with the hot blonde in the back of the, and she's not really that hot, but she's supposed yeah. to be considered hot. So he's in the back of the car with this girl and he says, is it my clean clothes shape? You know, these guys harmonizing go, <laughs> like the kazoo band on the bus. Oh, yeah. oh my and that is what riding the bus felt like when I was a sophomore in high school. Let me tell you. Did it. It did. Yes. That's yeah. Great. You know what? It's kind of like that for me too, except for without the kazoo band. But it's kind of it like just ruckus, just nonstop noise from the time we got in the bus after school all the way home. It's just noise. So I would opt to run the school, cross a major highway <laughs> versus riding the bus. I couldn't do it anymore. So you're not the other one that rides the bus, huh? No. So, yeah, Debbie, that was great. I always love the Thompson Twins song there. Um, I like the Thompson Twins anyway. I can't. This is one of those songs I just can't figure out. Out of all the crappy music that ends up getting on the radio, like how this one, with the success of this movie, some record producer or somebody didn't go, you know what? Let's release this as a single. Yeah, exactly. Because it's such an iconic part of the movie. People that see it associate the song with the movie and the movie with the song. It's like, why not put it out there? I think it would have been huge. You could have done an MTV video. You could have released it as a single or at least a B-side. Where it would yeah. get noticed. Yeah. Should have done something. Should have done something. Tammy, you're up next. What you got? Let's talk about Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger. From Risky Business, starring Tom Cruise and Rebecca De Mornay. Yes, the song charted number eight, went to 28 in 1979. Please forgive me. But it was re-released in 1983 and went to number 48 again because of the movie. Just about any adult can name this song within a couple notes. Within a few seconds, I defy you to sit still. It's just pure fun. It doesn't need any digital bells and whistles to make it a crowd favorite. A wedding dance is not complete without this in its set. I think it's cool that each generation tends to claim this as singing about the music that was popular when they grew up, their version of old time rock and roll, because surely Bob Seger was singing about different tunes than we think of when we hear it. As a, as a piano player, I love the honky tonk keys. Um, I wish I could play like that. So, What's the plot of the movie? What brings us to the moment of the song? Um, This is a tough movie to summarize. I tried many times, so let's see what I can do. My sort of short version of Risky Business. Tom Cruise plays Joel, a high school senior who starts dating a hooker named Lana, played by Rebecca De Mornay. Joel and his friend Miles help Lana escape from her pimp, Guido. To raise money for his parents' Porsche that went into the lake while he was using it, Joel and Lana throw a huge party at his house, turning it into a brothel for the night. During the party, a Princeton University recruiter shows up, but Joel walks out on the interview. And later, while Joel's out of the house, Guido steals all of the furniture from the house, which they end up having to buy back with the money they earned at the party just before Joel's parents come home. In the end, Joel's accepted into Princeton, the recruiter saying that Princeton could use a man like him. 
Joel and Lana agree to spend one last night together before he leaves for college, but you get the idea that they, they won't last in, as a relationship. Okay, shoot. So the scene that features old time rock and roll is an iconic movie scene. And this happens before the big party and begins with Tom Cruise, um, with Tom Cruise and Joel, home alone, pouring himself a whiskey and Coke, way heavy on the whiskey, by the way, <laughs> and trying to eat an uncooked TV dinner at a candlelight table. As the music starts, the camera cuts to him sliding across the hardwood floor in just a button-down shirt and his underwear with his back facing us, and he turns around, holds, he's holding a candlestick as a mic, and he proceeds to lip-sync and strut and dance around his house. Of course, the teen girls loved it when he threw himself on the couch and shook his little touch. Um, I won't say if I was one of them. It is well known that that whole scene was totally improvised. In the script, he was just instructed to dance through the house in his underwear. So he made all this up. I think it's super cool. He, he was trying really hard to slide in and stop in the right place for the camera. So he waxed half the floor so that he could slide in into socks and would naturally just stop where the wax stopped. So Bob, Sing Bob Seger got a demo of old time rock and roll from the two main songwriters. He ended up rewriting most of the verses, but was feeling fairly generous that day and never asked for songwriters co-credit, not thinking it would be such a big hit and obviously didn't know it was gonna be in the movie and absolutely and understandably regrets not asking for credit to this day. Uh, so I thought it was interesting and a couple more fun things about this song. So the lead guitar player on this recording was a young guy who was in the parking lot with his parents and he went onto the porch of the recording studio and talked to the band's lead guitarist who happened to go out there. And he just said, hey, I'm a guitar player and I wanna learn how to play on recording sessions and I think I'm good. So they, the guy brought him in and they put him on the track while his mom and dad sat in the car with the AC running. And he actually plays on the track, but he wasn't credited for his part on the song. Apparently he did get paid though. But how cool, how, how cool and serendipitous, right? Uh, this song was used in a commercial for Frisky's cat food with the lyrics changed to just take the Friskies off the shelf. Your cat can eat them all by himself. You guys remember that one? I do. And it was later the flagship song for Guitar Hero World Tour with a commercial that parodied the Risky Business scene. And on another note, Bob Seger's only number one song was for another 80s movie, Beverly Hills Cop 2, with the song Shakedown. And that was originally going to be recorded by his friend, Glenn Fry, but Fry lost his voice before recording it, so he asked Bob to do it. And that's all I've got to say about that. Thank you, Tammy. Obviously, she is not with us during the recording, but we certainly appreciate her contributing as she did last week as well. Tammy, you're awesome. Thank you so much. I'll take this next one here. Mine is from the movie Say Anything. This is one that, I'll give you the backgrounds. In the movie, we've got our hero, the every everyman Lloyd Dobbin. Lloyd Dobbin. He's a high school slacker, but extremely smart, very high, high IQ. And he's got bigger aspirations in high school. He's a dreamer. He's a romantic guy. And he's got his, his group of friends. They're just, they're a bunch of loners too. You know, no, nobody special. They're not the athletes. They're not the popular kids. They're just the people in the, which I can kind of relate to personally in high school. I was, I was a guy you walk by in the hall, like, oh, I know that guy. I guess he's cool. Um, but he was just you know, Lloyd Dobler. And he's had a crush on Diane Court for as long as he could remember. Now, Diane is the class valedictorian, very smart, pretty, uh, very uh, proper. Uh, she's been taught good manners and etiquette. Never really quite fit in at school. Like everybody kind of adored her from afar, but figured she was just like this porcelain girl that no one could talk to and 
she never would date anybody at school because she's concentrated on her studies and so forth. So Lloyd calls her on the phone and asks her to go to a graduation party. And to his surprise, she says yes. And he shows up at the party with her and everybody is just blown away. Like, how did you get Diane Court to go out with you? I called her on the phone. <laughs> so so our, our young budding romance is off to a great start. After the party, it's an all night party. He ends up having to be the key master, which means no one's going to get their car keys if they're so inebriated that they can't drive. A very noble, but a thankless position. At the end of the night, there's this one dude they've got to drive home because he's too drunk to even think. But he doesn't even know where home is. They're driving around all night trying to find this dude's <laughs> home. They finally do. She admires him so much for being such a, a young man of valor, of you know taking care of this dude. He wanted to spend his time with her. Uh, he couldn't really concentrate on that because of his duties. Mm-hmm. And so she really thought it was adorable. So they make a plan to go out again. So they start dating. It gets pretty serious. And then there's a moment, a very tender moment of the movie. They're alone together. And this song is playing. Now, at this moment, Lloyd, you can tell without actually having words that he knew this girl cared about. He knew that she loved him. Uh, They're in the car. It's cold. She throws a blanket over him because he's shivering. At that moment, he knows she cares about him. The song's playing. Throughout the movie, the relationship's going great. But then her dad gets in some legal trouble. She feels obligated to her father, who she's very close to, to take care of him, take care of the family business and do all this. So she breaks up with Lloyd, breaks his heart. They're going great. And it's just pulled the rug out from under him. And he can't understand. He calls her. He calls her and he calls her and he tries to go to her house, tries to go to her work and she won't see him, nothing. So at this moment, he has the idea to have one of the most iconic scenes in not just 80s history, in movie history, period. He hoists the boombox up over his head. Here he comes. And he plays In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. Best ever. Absolutely. That brought the house down. So Peter Gabriel, when he was he was first approached to do this song, he wasn't real keen on doing a movie soundtrack. You know, they're teenagers in love. It's kind of he's more of an artist. You know, formerly with Genesis back before they were a poppier, rockier band, they were more of a uh, an artsy band. So his whole vibe is like very artsy and very serious. So he was convinced by Rosanna Arquette oh, to let him use very it. Very cool. Yes, that Rosanna from Toto, the big song. So she should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think. <laughs> Just, <laughs> okay. You know what? They're they're going to let ABBA in. They're going to let Neil Diamond in. They might as well let Roseanne Arquette in, too. Yeah, I mean, She's responsible for some of the most iconic 80s touchstone moments of the whole decade. Ever. He gets convinced uh, by her to at least hear out Cameron Crowe, who wanted to use the song. He originally was going to use To Be a Lover by Billy hey, Idol. I don't... Oh. Mm. Let's listen to this for a minute and picture the boombox scene. wouldn't work for me i don't know it would have been awful that's like that's not i don't think that's a vibe they they wanted to have but it's a fact they changed the station on his radio (laughs) (laughs) now that would have been a funny scene that would have changed the tempo of the movie a little bit and you could never shoot that scene nowadays because holding up an iphone over your head (laughs) not nearly as impactful as a big yeah yeah cameron crow 
sends him a copy of the movie. Uh, Peter Gabriel said he didn't feel real good about it because of the overdose that happens during the movie. Mm. Well, what happened was he sent him the wrong movie. He sent him the movie Wired. Yeah. Okay, because mm. I'm like, like I met Peter Gabriel. So did he send him say anything? Of course, he gave his blessing. That song peaked at number 26 on the pop charts. In his home country of England, it was never even released as a single. Really? Wow. Now, today, everybody knows that. Everybody song. knows that. Yeah. So here is a really cool thing that I discovered when, when researching this. In 2012, Peter Gabriel was playing at the Hollywood Bowl. And during the intro of the song... John Cusack walks out, hands him a boombox, and takes a bow, and then walked off again. Oh, that's awesome. Cameron Crowe was at the concert and later tweeted, Peter Gabriel and John Cusack on stage together at the Holly Bowl tonight (laughs) won't forget that ever. (laughs) So that song, if, if you're an 80s kid, and I would almost guarantee everybody listening to this podcast except for Tammy, who hasn't seen Say Anything. But all the rest of you, I'm sure, have seen this movie. Tammy, Tammy, Every, Tammy. seen the movie, you yeah, know the boombox scene. Yeah, you got to know that. It is, it is so iconic, so 80s. So what do you guys think about that? That's a beautiful. That was just beautiful. I mean, it's iconic. It's the moment. It's, yeah. it's the defining moment. I mean, that's it. You said it best. That's great. And if, Diane, if I were Diane Court, I would have gone to the window and opened it. Come I'm on, too. That she stays there, curled up in a ball with her back to the window. Yeah, just oh, wrong. Man. Just wrong. Just wrong. But hey, spoiler alert, he wins her back. What? Yes. And I think the boombox had everything to do with it. Absolutely. At least in my mind, it does. Mm-hmm. It's her back. He gets the girl. All right. That's all I have to say about that. Anybody got anything for to move on? I think it's good. All right. So, you know what? Last week, I felt kind of goofy because i used the omd song if you leave for pretty and pink like guys are using these sports anthems pump up things yeah yeah well i was so, disappointed in you i don't i don't if i came off that way but it, it, it did break the momentum yeah a little i mean it's a great song it's great good movie it's cute but you know mike is never one to just take defeat he had to one-up me yeah <laughs> so maybe less manly what but one of the most iconic movie scenes of all time. Okay, is what? What are we talking about? Do it, big boy. Well, I have to admit, I really didn't read the directive for this podcast very well. Oh, so I, I, I'm pretty much about as prepared as Matt is for once. Okay, so, that stings a little. So true. I'm going to reach out for a little help here. What's, what's happening right now? What is happening? Hello there. Hi. How you doing, love of my life? Oh, for crying out loud. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> Misty. Well, we're doing a podcast, and I kind of misread the directive on what we were supposed to really research. So I selected the uh, song, The Time of My Life, from Dirty Dancing. Oh, and, you did not. And I really don't know that much about the movie. So can you kind of recap the movie for us and the ending scene? Sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Right, and it might be put on the spot and go. <laughs> oh, I've seen it, but it's been a very long time. Please, you watched it last weekend because Misty made you. In the day, I had my hair cut like her, and evidently, I must have a big nose like her because people were like, "Hey, you look like Jennifer Gray." You don't. Know, you don't have a big nose. I don't look like Jennifer Gray after she had her nose done. But anyway, I divert. Okay, so at the end, they're doing the finale of the season, and um, oh, what's that? Oh, what's his name's uh, what's his name? What's his character's name? Johnny. Yeah, Johnny. Johnny. Johnny, yeah. Johnny Castle. Don't say Johnny Cougar, but so Patrick Swayze is like, um, you know, hey, I got some great new ideas, and they're rad, dude. 
And then, um, but the stuck up guy who's like somebody's nephew was like, nope, we're going to do it like this. But what happens is they just kind of like, I don't know, they just go crazy with it and it loose and then they do this whole dancing sequel and it's supposed to be like it's kind of like a flash mob thing but it's like supposed to be spontaneous and that's what it is and everybody loves it and then like they do this like they were trying to do this jump thing for another dance and they couldn't figure it out so then they end up doing it the jump dance thing and yeah that's that's the jump dance thing what was this jump jump dance? dance that leap uh, the lift. The lift. Jumps and he catches her. That's kind of pretty much what Mike and I did the night the night we met. I believe oh, that. Oh wow! I believe it. That's what sealed the deal when we did that. We can't forget what set the whole scene up. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Come on. <laughs> the corner and um so johnny was like well i'm not having that so he comes over and so dad did not care for that one little bit and so therefore he grabs her and they start you know doing this dirty dancing dirty dancing yeah (laughs) and then the mother that kind of forgot about that because the mother's like sees her daughter like she's really good and the mother's like oh she gets it from me Wow, so. <laughs> Very good. Nice recap for something. Thank you. Thanks for bailing out your your snowball husband. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I'm here for, basically. All right. All right. Well, that'll get you a new car, probably. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Misty, thank you so much for joining us. Oh yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you'll be on the podcast this Saturday. All right, we'll see you. Bye. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the great Misty Moore. Yay. Wow. Yay. I can tell you all about the song because I researched the song oh, like crazy. So the song was performed by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warren. Obviously from the movie Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. 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 That's with dirt on your shoes. The lyrics were written by Frankie, and I may have mispronounced his name, Provite, who was from Frankie and the Knockouts. Boom. Uh, when he was asked to write the song, he said he didn't have time. He just lost his, uh, they had just lost their record contract, and he was told he needed to make time, that this could be life-changing. So. He did a Matt Moore kind of cramming for a final exam. He wrote the song while he was driving to the studio that's on the highway. That's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> wow. Good, song. Good job, Frankie. Um, let's see. Frankie also wrote the song Hungry Eyes for the soundtrack. He wanted to perform both of those songs and then got denied on both of them. He had a good voice. He does he have a good voice. At all. But I get the Bill Medley. I mean, he was a star, you know, with the Righteous Brothers mm-hmm. in the uh, early 60s. The movie itself, I believe, took place in 1963. Mm-hmm. So you got an iconic 60s voice performing a song, you know, from that era. So I, I, I see why. Um, I do know this. Um, when they performed that scene, it was actually the first scene filmed of the movie, even though it's the last scene oh, of wow. the movie. Interesting. Yes. And when they performed it, uh, Bill Medley had not recorded his version yet. Huh. So they oh. used Frankie's version. Wow. To perform to. Hmm. I'd like to hear that. Yeah. I'd have to find it. Apparently, Bill Medley was uh, very hesitant because uh, he had a major bomb on his one previous soundtrack experience. <laughs> he and uh, Gladys Knight did a song called loving on borrowed time from the movie cobra was oh boy so, oh. wow so i don't know understand why a love song on the movie cobra just didn't you know click <laughs> that one should have been, been on our list oh it should have been should have been yeah um i guess a song by lionel richie was originally planned to be used in the finale but the choreographer any oh. ortega didn't like it, so they went with the time of my life instead. And Lionel didn't need the money either. I'm sure, like Jennifer Warren, so she was kind of a light rock hit maker in the 70s. Couple, I remember, Right Time of the Night was a big hit by her. Mm-hmm. She but, had the uh, duet with um, 
Oh, from the officer and a gentleman. Was oh, that, um, yeah, Joe Cocker. Yeah, her and Joe Cocker. What song was that? Um, Up Where We Belong. There you go. Yeah, officer and a gentleman. <laughs> yeah. The one unique thing about this song, it actually starts with the chorus. Think of how many songs actually start with the chorus. Not many. Not many. You are right. This wow. one does. Not your typical, typical song. Typical. 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 Um, the song reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It was number 27 for the year in 1987. It won two Grammy Awards for Best Original Song and Best Pop Song by a Duo or Group. And made Frankie a buttload of money. Yes, it did. He didn't have to sing one note. He didn't have to sing Sweetheart anymore. Hmm. Nice. So, uh, anything else on that? Well, that's pretty much call- all of my knowledge on the movie. <laughs> Do you want to call your wife and ask her any other, help you out in any other? Trivia. If I need to, she's oh, there for me. Wow. She's got my back. Wow. That's oh, very that's sweet. Awesome. Very sweet. So I remember seeing this movie in the movie theater. Um, the girl I was dating at the time wanted to see it. And begrudgingly, I went. And I actually ended up enjoying the movie itself. It was better than I had thought. I, mean, I thought it was a musical. So I was uh, happy that they actually had a plot. And you know, Patrick Swayze. It's Patrick Swayze. It's Patrick Swayze, man. Us, man. You know, Good he, stuff. Yeah. He was in a little movie called The Outsiders. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, has anybody ever heard that There's movie? a theme here. Uh, yeah, I may have seen it a couple <laughs> yeah. years ago. It all comes back to Outsiders. All yes. comes back to See, Outsiders. Debbie, you should have seen it many years earlier. You wouldn't be the, the pinata that you have been. Sorry about that. Yeah, I know. It's all my fault. It's almost exactly two years ago to the day that that occurred. So there is it go. really? Wow. It is. Yeah. You did see it. Wow. And, you know, I we understand you weren't super impressed. But yeah, <laughs> if you're an I 80s you connoisseur, you got to check it off your list. <laughs> it's going to be in your arsenal. I'm so. glad I can say I watched it. There you go. Very good. Yes. All right. Uh, anything on uh, on this song or Dirty Dancing, Debbie? You know, I was in college at the time, and I remember we had a mass date on our floor where your roommate asked someone out for you, and oh, we geez. all went to see two, Three Men and a Baby, but half the group split off and see Dirty Dancing, and I wasn't in that half, so a couple weeks later, I went with some other friends to go see Dirty Dancing, and I really enjoyed it, so, I yeah. I bet you did, Dan. How was the date yeah. with the person in the mass? Pardon me? Oh, in the mass date? It was yeah. good, I think. It's been a while. I think it was a good was date. I'm trying to remember. Oh, I remember who it was. It was a good date. Didn't go out again, but it was a good date. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Interesting. All right. We've got one left. <clears throat> one movie left. I, I, it feels like we've hit them all, but I, I guess there's one more. There is a drum roll. For one more. <laughs> Did I steal it? Is it Cobra? It is not Cobra. Yes. Good job. It is not Cobra. Matt, take us on home. This this little this little movie here is just by far one of the. I think it's, I ain't, it's, it's not one of the best movies in the whole wide world, but it's one of the best movies in the whole wide world ever. Yes, yeah, I, I mean, thought you better be bringing this oh, around. No, it is straight. No, we're talking about the Breakfast Club here. We're talking yes. about the just the epitome uh, of life lessons. I mean, this is a very uh, you know. It's, it's educational. You learn a lot about life and people and groups. And it's this movie was just uh, it's it very um, it's just educational. I mean, I keep going back to that because I mean, you just it, you really learn a lot about interactions and and uh, stereotypes. And it's it's kind of one of those defining. Uh, <clears throat> we use this movie to define these cliques that we found ourselves in in the eighties. And of course, the song I got my, my T-shirt on from, uh, you know, from last uh, my, my gift from Kevin there. But by the way, what? Kevin, we've missed you the last two weeks. Kevin, we it's did, absolutely not the same without you being here. Okay. Yeah. I mean that with it's not here. All oh. sincerity. <laughs> oh, I guess we're no, he bought us, I got this shirt. We're better with you here, Kevin. I got this shirt here, old black tee, and it's got the silhouette. Of uh, old, old uh, John Bender there with the, the the fist up in the air, and then, so the, the the song obviously is "Don't You Forget About Me." So we're talking about movie magic. We're talking about 
uh, we're talking about scenes and 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 moments on 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 the screen that we just don't forget. And 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 when the scene is one thing, but that moment when when John Bender raises up his fist and it just like he freezes. That's the end of the movie. That iconic image is just boom. It's foundational for all things eighties. I mean, it is just it's it. It's it. Uh, so the singing where that song comes into play is is at the end of the movie. Uh, they just had their their Saturday detention, right? So they spent all day uh, learning uh, about each other, uh, a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of crazy stuff. And uh, the, the song starts as the, the, they finish with detention. They're walking out Saturday. They're leaving the school that they pass. Uh, Carl, the custodian, standing there in the hallway. They exit the building. First comes out is Brian, which is uh, Anthony Michael Hall. He goes down the steps and, you know, he's by himself. He just kind of, he just gets into the car with his dad and dad kind of looks at him and like probably thinking, idiot, had a good <laughs> So he gets in the car and they... Hold on. Do you know who his dad was? Who was his dad? John Hughes. That was John Hughes. Oh, nugget for everybody there. Did look at that with the yeah. movie nugget right there. So yeah, he probably thought he was an idiot. So yeah. so so they drive off. They get in the car, drive away. And then the next walking down is, is Andrew and Allison, which is Amelia Estevez and Ali Sheedy. And they they come down the steps and there they stand and they begin to kiss. And it's just this. You got the jock and you got this kind of you know. Basket cakes. Oh, well, she's the basket cakes. And, and so they're there and they just, they kiss and it's just, you know, what? Oh. And, and this, this, it was, it was something. And then they get, when, when they get done, they get done kissing, they get in their separate cars, you know, their rides, they're picking them up, you know, and, and um, uh, his dad, who's his dad? Anybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they said some guy. So, so his dad picks him up. He looks over at the basket case like, what the heck? Because I mean, he's, he's when you start liking the girls, yeah. Well, he's a star athlete, so he's probably thinking, "What are you liking that chick for?" But they, so, but they, even the parents recognize that that's not your type of whatever. So, so she gets in her car, she leaves, he leaves, and then here comes Claire, which is Molly Ringwald, and here comes John Bender, Judd Nelson, and they come down and they got this moment. And as soon as they get together, she takes her diamond stud earring and she puts it into his into his fingerless gloved hand. He's got his trench coat on. I mean, it's just this cool thing. And she puts that, she puts that uh, uh, earring into his hand, folds up his hand, and then they have this kind of awkward kiss, but they kiss. They, they had this moment. They're like, let the well, let he was he was trying to get it. He off. was trying to go kiss, but she was still playing cool, but they they had their moment, right? And so she gets in her car with her dad and she leaves and then Bender. He puts the he, he puts the earring into his ear right away, puts it on, and he starts walking the walk home. No one's that you notice no one's there to pick up Bender. I mean, everyone else has a ride when they leave the they leave detention. Not not Bender. He is a matter. So the song, the song Don't You Forget About Me is playing in the background. That is kind of going kind of going good. And then we see Bender go to the football field, the empty stadium, and he's walking across. And then all of a sudden you hear this, uh, the voice of Brian. Yeah. Uh, the voice of Brian comes over and the music's still playing, the song's still playing. And then we we hear Brian and he, he uh, here's a monologue that he reads. He writes an essay to Mr. Vernon. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. I mean, just hearing his voice. And the music's going, and right when that, well, right when that song, or when he gets done the little speech, it's right about time. Old Bender puts the hand up, and he, I mean, this is the here comes the song. 
Yeah. It just kicks it. I mean, it is just, it is powerful. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Good. So daggone Brought it. good. But that, I mean, that's just good stuff right there. Good. Well, the, the scene brings itself, right? I mean, it's it's just that I can't, that's, to me, that's that's like the 80s scene. I right? think, I think that is the best use of music in a movie that I've ever seen. Oh. That song, that moment. That, there's, there's no doubt. I no get, problem. I get. To this day, I get chills of if I'm watching that movie and I watch that scene. Oh man, so honest, it is so daggone good. I mean, uh, the song itself is by um, Scottish rock band Simple Minds, uh, released obviously in '85. No, they didn't write the song. It was written. Uh, it was written by Keith Forsey and Steve Schiff, and they were trying to get. It was written. They wanted Simple Minds to do it. They had no desire to do it because they they kind of didn't feel like they should be singing songs that they didn't write. And so they were kind of, and I like that. So, but they did, they were kind of relentless, didn't give up. Uh, one of them uh, was married to Chrissy Hine, kind of talked to him from Pretenders, talked them into it. So anyhow, they ended up making a song, but what was cool about it is they, they uh, rearranged and recorded the song in three hours in the North London studio. And then they promptly forgot about it, thinking that it would be some, throwaway song on a soundtrack to a forgettable movie boy were they wrong they were absolutely but they did this like in three hours that's that's un, unbelievable now the song went to number one um and and held there for three weeks i mean it's just it's just it's just i mean it says it all it's, yeah it's a song iconic the song don't you forget about me i mean it's just this epitome of the we we got more in common uh, than we think we do. I mean, it, it, there's so many life lessons in the movie, uh, and, and and even in the song itself. But I mean, it, it's uh, I don't know if I said this, but it's educational. It is educational. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's good stuff. Um, so just to tag on a little bit, That's because it. I'm a music nerd, self, mm-hmm. I, I I am. I uh, was so I'm self aware of that. Yeah. There you go. So it was actually original offered to Brian Ferry from Roxy Music. Mm-hmm. Slave to Love was his big solo hit here. Uh, he turned it down. Billy Idol turned it down. A&M Records, who did the soundtrack, wanted Corey Hart to do it. Said but his voice was. Yeah, his voice yeah. wasn't there. And then Cy Kernan from The Fix was also offered. He would have done a good job. He's in that mm-hmm. vocal range. But I, you know, Billy Idol did actually do it later. But uh, that version, Simple Minds, Perfect Storm. Perfect. That's it, man. Absolutely perfect. Good stuff, Mike. What what, what are your What are your thoughts here? My thoughts are right now. I'm picturing Kevin Ackley listening to this podcast, (laughs) and he's thinking to himself, "Who is this Matt Moore? We have never, (laughs) ever seen somebody so prepared, so enthusiastic about it." Kevin is probably just sitting back there like a proud papa. Because if Kevin was here, he'd be there. Because Kevin is always the most prepared of all of us. Absolutely, he has his notes. He's ready for the content. We probably frustrate him a bit. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Uh, So Kevin's probably sitting back there just smiling and just. Just taking it easy, just resting comfortably. Like yeah. that. he probably said, "That's still ain't the same without you, Kevin." Yeah, we miss you. But we yeah. miss you. Where are you, Kevin? Where, where, where are you? That's where not as good as being here. Right. So, Debbie, I know you love this song. We yeah. absolutely love it, and you know it's such an iconic song because even in the more recent Pitch Perfect movie, if you guys ever saw that, when I had a teenage no. daughter at the time, so saw that movie a lot. I have, and the love interest in the movie or in, in that movie makes the girlfriend watch the breakfast club Yeah, and she's not completely getting it at the end of the movie, her group sings the song on stage and he gets so excited. His fist goes in the air. So, I mean, there's even cultural references to it in recent movies to where one generation giving nod to the greatest generation, which is us. Exactly. Yes. It just, it continues on because it's just such a perfect song. Yeah. Totally. And perfect use of a song in a movie. 
I, th I think when you're looking at 80 songs, this has got to be top five. Oh, man, like, absolutely. Just, oh, yeah. Easy, easy. Wow. Yep, very good. All right, I think it's our list. That's a great, yeah, that was wow. a good, yeah, great work. Wait, everybody brought it. Movie Thank magic. you, Misty Moore. Misty jumped in there. <laughs> Save me again. Oh, geez. It's great to have Deb from Texas. We're all I'm on happy a... to be back. <laughs> it's good to have Miss Deb from Texas with us over. Yes, it is. Over the Zoom. Good yes, stuff. Is. And Miss Tammy. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's always great Tammy. to kick it with Tammy. Awesome. Two Texans. Two Texans. That's right. That's right. So uh, we are going to dismiss ourselves right now. All right. Uh, we'll be back next week with something cool, new, and exciting. Uh, I don't know the topic yet. I can't wait. You got an idea for a topic? Let us know. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just I always have ideas, and they always get shot down. So Because your, your ideas aren't always very good, Mike. They're really good. <laughs> okay. Here, I wanna, I, here is one that he keeps pushing to us that I'm like, I know which one you're going to throw. Wants to hear an entire podcast on the Jackson family. <laughs> that was the one I was thinking of. How about the one where we're living in the 1780s? We're oh, yeah. in the 1880s. I'm going to do it on the 2000s. I don't know. I think they're great. Well, you keep thinking. Okay. So our outro song this week is one that has stuck with me for years and years and years and years. So I want to say 1986, 85, something like that. REM, they put out an album called Dead Letter Office. They're the first group I know of that did this, but basically it was an album of throwaway songs and B-sides. In the liner notes, it says, this is a movie theme without a movie. So we are going to close out with a song Rotary 10 by R.E.M. And I'm pretty sure nobody's using the song in their podcast. I'm anywhere sure. in America. That's right. Mm -hmm. So Rotary 10 by R.E.M. Closing us out. Guys, thanks for joining. Take care. God bless. We'll see you next week. I don't have it. Screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place.